Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome everybody to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You can check out the FTCA at forwardthinkingchiro.com. If you're not a member, make sure you become a member as soon as possible. The benefits are fantastic. And we have our Facebook group, of course, that is the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance on Facebook. Facebook, blah, And uh, we also have Instagram and all those other things for you to follow us. This show and the FTCA, FTCA in general is brought to you by your partners and sponsors, the Jane App, the Smart Chiropractor, China Gel, T-Tool, ChiroUp.com, Drop Release, Hyperice, Gestalt Education, the Chiropractic Success Academy. Don't sleep on that CSA, CSA.com, or CSACircle.com. We'll edit that. And... Uh, we have two partners that we, uh, basically we support them as much as we can. We want to get the word out about our partners as much as we can. And we try to give them money whenever we possibly can. And that is world spine care and the Carl research fellows. Carl is the chiropractic Academy of research leadership. Uh, check those guys out on their mission. And we have a new sponsor and that is B3 sciences. They provide blood flow restriction bands and to our members uh, they have a whole educational platform available to you within your membership hub uh, about blood flow restriction and how it can benefit uh, your practice and all that and all that so check those out one last note of housekeeping this will date the podcast so it's always a, a faux pas to date your podcast because then they're no longer evergreen but our annual event forward 2023 Better Together is going down July 22nd, 23rd at Parker University. You can go to our website and see all the great speakers and continue education and topics that we have there uh, over the weekend. And you can register. Be sure to join us. It's time to get back into live events and become better together. And we're doing that at Parker University. So, oh, and by the way, if you do hear this podcast and you did miss the event, don't worry. That means we'll have another one. Stay tuned and uh, go to our website and get on the mailing list so you know when the next event's happening. Okay, our guest today is Dr. Kurt Kippenberger from Focus on Health. Uh, he and his wife, Krista, started that practice in 2010. Um, he's one of my favorite chiropractors as far as doing it all really, really well if not doing it all, excellent. So there's an excellence that comes from their team, their team component, how they train, foster, and facilitate their staff, how they care for their patients, and the actual nuts and bolts of the care that they deliver. Uh, and we're going to discuss some of those things today with Kurt. Hey, Doc, how's it going? Great, I appreciate being on again. It's always fun to get to connect with you. Uh, I enjoy connecting with you in person more, but it's great to be able to hop on a Zoom 11 or 1200 miles away too. So happy to be here. Yeah. The people that don't know me from the online character I play, I'm not a bad guy, right? Yeah. No, you're a big teddy bear. I always, I always <laughs> describe you that way. You give uh, a lot more shits than most people do. And uh, we appreciate you. I do it because I care. <laughs> um, we wanted to talk in this episode about 
staff culture. Is that correct? Yeah. How would you, how would you title it? What would you call it? I don't know. You know, your, your culture bleeds so much. Uh, that was actually a really big topic at our last mastermind. And, um, be sure to mention these masterminds, what they are, yeah, what it's all about. So Modern Chiropractic Marketing Group, one of our affiliates with the FTCA. Uh, we have a, a group of 24 super high performing and more importantly, really humble and eager to learn chiropractors in the room. And Dr. Kevin Christie's put this together. I've had the opportunity to help facilitate some of the events and culture is something that we've really leaned into since our inception in 2010 and scheduling Institute came in. And I mean, just really concisely in such a scheduling Institute way said that culture is what your team thinks about you. Um, culture is a group of people repeating behaviors. When people say they like your culture, they're saying they like the way that you treat each other, our visitors, our curators, and our patrons. And this one hit home because I do travel a lot to help out with Kevin and help out with other uh, four-letter acronyms teaching all over the country. Uh, culture is what happens when the boss is not around. And that statement there, I had to snap a pic. Those were, those were straight out of my notes from, uh, from that weekend. But I'm really proud of our team because I think everything that we learned from Kirk that weekend was something that Focus on Health and our gym, the Movement Lab, has really embraced and become ambassadors of a good, clean, healthy culture. And that's not always been true. We've had some bad cultures. So I know, I know, Bobby, you probably fall into similar categories where there's there's uh, some good seasons and some bad seasons. But if it becomes a climate, you got to get your ass out of there. Well, this is a, that's the thing I wanted to ask you. Like, I, I'm, I've made the assumption that you, you and Krista and everyone else involved with Focus on Health didn't just walk into good culture. Yeah. It has to be sort of fostered. The seeds have to be planted and then it grows. Um, you don't just magically do it right away. I think a lot of people experience bad culture before they get the good culture. Yeah, I had a lot of really great work experiences before we opened our practice, and I was a bicycle mechanic at Walt's Bike Shop here in Columbia, Missouri, while I was an undergrad, and then I worked there for a little while as we kind of bootstrapped the business as well, just to have a little bit of ancillary income, and my two bosses, my leaders, Mark and Sarah, they were... Um, they became married actually during that process, but they were together forever. So seeing a husband, wife or a, a partnership team work well together. Um, yeah. They just created this atmosphere of vulnerability of fun. And Krista and I knew that we wanted to emulate something like that culture. Cause she actually interned there for a summer with me as well. And uh you know, we were in a unique position. Chris and I have been together for so long. I mean, 25 years dating, 18 years married this year. We we kind of holistically understand how each other works for but for good, for bad, right. or for worse. Sure. Uh, but then to bring other people into that, that's that's hard. Um, and when and for a while, I think we did have a culture where somebody would go and ask dad and not get the the answer that they like. So they would go ask mom. And that had to take some evolutionary steps because that created a little cattiness and uh, maybe some favoritism. Um, but you're so, yeah, to put a bow on what you said, you can't just expect culture to happen. You, you really have to cultivate the soil for it. So what are some things, some, some examples of the intentional things you guys have done? 
I think the biggest thing, you know, one of the things that we did with the Chiropractic Success Academy at the beginning of the year uh, in our monthly call was we did, what is your why? I mean, Simon Sinek's got the big coined phrase on it. I'm sure many leaders before him have described it in various ways, but I think you've got to get your why first. Um, your why, I think, then leads you to build your core values. Your core values help you build your mission statement and your vision for your practice. And so for Krista and I, um, our why initially was to provide a conservative healthcare setting that also empowered people, our team, to want to help to change the landscape of healthcare. And that's evolved a lot uh, since then. Um, some of that has evolved into, you know, teaching and then reaping the benefits of multiplicity outside of the clinic. Uh, because if we can get 50 or 100 or 1,000 clinics thinking that same line, I think that, you know, all the boats rise with the tide. Um, but then once we, once we really honed in on what was important to us and our non-compromisables, those core values started to get built and there have been a few core values that have remained since the beginning. And then we've actually refined and actually one of our core values is adaptability. So we've, we've been adaptable in some of the language that we've used. Uh, but yeah, our core values are, you know, first and foremost, be grateful, um, be adaptable, be professional, be passionate, um, be responsible, and then be professional. And those are kind of the beacons that should guide every single decision, whether it's a hiring decision, a firing decision, a feedback mechanism, whether it's praise or whether it's constructive criticism. Because if somebody is not upholding one of your core values, they're saying that they don't get your why and that they don't believe in your mission. Yeah, this is something I alluded to when I spoke at the MPI Sports Summit, right? It's processes versus um tactics processes versus systems like the processes this is why we do what we do yes and a lot of folks you know for whatever reason they they can um sleepwalk their way into subconscious processes right which are positive or negative and i think that is a thing that blindsides a lot of chiropractors when they want to scale up they you know i can't i want to see x number of patients or whatever the thing i want more revenue, or I want to make more impact, or I want better outcomes, whatever the thing is, they don't see that they don't have the process in place to do it. Um, they think that the system or the marketing or something's going to save them when the foundation of why is not there. That's why in the Chiropractic Success Academy, we, we trumpet, or at least I do, very loudly the importance of why. And I do see some of the blank faces from people. They don't They don't know what they don't know until they realize that they needed to know it or something like that. Right. I think I just made that up. No, but let me, but ask, let me ask you this before you get started yeah. and then you can go on with that thought. How many, so modern chiropractic marketing, high level chiropractors. So they're earning a certain amount of money per year at their clinic. And when I talk to Kevin, it's a big number. Okay. So I don't want to say the number, they, everyone can go through that, but it's bigger than what most people make. So 1%, 2% of chiropractors in the nation, somewhere maybe into 5% of especially evidence-informed chiropractors. Let, let's just say 2 to 5% of evidence-informed chiropractors are doing this much revenue in their offices. Of those uh, 
docs that are in modern chiropractic marketing's mastermind group, how many of them would you say have a why? What percent? Hundred. Yeah. 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 Of I the, think you can be in that room without one. Of the general, and you, this is just an assumption. You wouldn't have any accuracy, and I wouldn't either. Nobody would. But uh, if you made an assumption about how many just the standard docs that want that would like to be in that room someday. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But what percentage of the average docs do you think have a why? That they've actually consciously, purposely defined over a period of development. I feel like chiropractic as a profession, most of us have a reason or I'll, I'll say a loose why. To loose what why, yeah. Yeah. A clearly defined why and what literally sets the foundation for those other pieces of the puzzle that we talked about. I'm going to run with the 80, 20 principle. I'm going to say 20% of the profession might have it very clearly defined. Fair enough. That's, I would probably be right there with you. Uh, it's not the only factor, but it's a big factor for success. Yeah. I mean, success leaves clues, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you interview a hundred chiropractors, whether they're evidence informed or not. And easily 90 to 98 percent of them are going to say i got into this profession to help people sure that is that is so loose and so ill-defined that they're either going to be chasing their tail or they're going to be one of the really lucky ones that just happen to have the right charisma the right character and the right people surrounding them that makes them successful but the vast majority are going to be chasing their tails i think that's I, i agree i think that's why we're having this conversation trying to save some butts here. (laughs) So if somebody was to, so this is what our type of chiropractor would then think, okay, so you've told me I got to do this thing. Where do I, where do I go learn it? And we've already dropped some clues. You can read Simon Sinek, start with why you can dive into developing your mission statement. Uh, You can read books. You can join the chiropractic success Academy. We cover that pretty heavily. It's one of the seven steps in our process. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you feel like people need to like, it, it's an interesting thing because it's not, it is kind of set it and forget it with temporary revisions as you learn things. Right. But how often do you have to actually focus on mission and culture once it's actually rolling, once the ball is rolling? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's like a bonsai tree. You just keep pruning it a little bit. It doesn't necessarily yeah. need to be reviewed at Ignazium. Although we did that, uh, we we actually went through a fairly um, toxic transition when my wife exited uh, being our, uh, we call our chief experience officer uh, to pursue a career in insurance. And, you know, it was 2021, the hiring, everything was weird, right? Like we were interviewing people in masks. We couldn't see facial expressions. Um, It was, it was just a weird time. And we were somewhat on a time crunch to do it. Um, When, when Krista accepted that position, I think I had eight weeks of transition time with her, but we were also losing two of our longest terms. So one was seven years that did all of our managerial stuff and billing. And then the other was a four year, like point person at the front desk as our patient care coordinator and rehab assistant, all of them exited on the same day. And I also knew wow. that I was losing a five-year associate 
or four year associate five with his internship uh, at the end of that year. So basically every key player on my team was going to be transitioned. And the, um, the two people that we brought on were one of them was likely the second worst hire that we've ever done. Um, we had one woman that embezzled $15,000 from us at least. So I'm going to go ahead and give her the top spot. <laughs> we didn't have a system in place for that. That's a, a whole nother thing. You know, I'm you didn't have an embezzlement system, <laughs> an anti-embezzlement system. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, yeah, she is a very close runner up though. And then the other guy uh, on paper, fantastic uh, interlocking key for the functional movement systems, which is the backbone of all of our clinical based care and our performance based care, but a really bad attitude. And oh, like, yeah. that just, so quite frankly, I know, I, I remember we had kind of a, a vulnerability, vulnerability post at the end of 2021 that year. And, um, you know, I had some other family things. We had some really big losses, I was done and I, I wrote a pretty long monologue on one of the FTCA posts about how close I was to exiting practice at my 10 year or 11 year mark. And we had a breath of fresh air come in September, I believe. So we, we actually hired my wife's best friend to replace her position in the summer. Alicia helped me immensely through some of the, the psychological cracks that were, you know, seeping all of my soul out. Um, and then our, our patient care coordinator, Bren, and one of our new rehab assistants, Jordan, they really kind of provided portage through that really difficult time. And now the team that we have in place, we've, we've had one more transition since Jordan has left. Um, but the team I have in place, I think from a cultural standpoint, is the strongest team I've ever had. Um, and part of that has required me to really step outside of myself and be vulnerable with them. Um, I've, I've generally been, you know, I'm a kind of what you see is what you get guy. I can't be anybody else than myself. And, uh, fortunately for some, they don't have to put up with me cause they don't like me. Others, sorry about you. That's just part of the deal. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, Kevin, uh, just recently did a 360 degree review on himself with, his team at HealthFit and his team with MCM. Um, I had done one years ago and learned a lot and I just kind of put it back in the parking lot and I forgot about it. So I just got through one of those and this will, this will, maybe it won't crack you up, Bobby, but you've known me long enough. I have, I've considered myself specifically with my patients and with our referral partners and generally anybody that I work with, I generally consider myself a very excellent communicator. Yeah. The number one thing that they said that I needed to work on for my team that I trust more than anybody right now is my communication. Wow. <laughs> so, um, talk about a piece of humble pie, but it's going to give me an opportunity. You know, what I was going to reference earlier when we were talking, you, you put the post out, what is the, the crappiest, the shittiest job that you've ever done in your practice? And we've got a yeah. really good, it's been fun watching it. Andy, you might not be wrong. You might, you might still win that battle. That's gross. Um, but I think to go back to your question about how do you maintain a culture, it's by doing the stuff that you don't want to do. It's yeah. you do it because it supports your values. Um, if I walk into a bathroom and it's a wreck, it would be incredibly irresponsible and not professional of me to pick up what I see. 
I'm right there. Why would I come to the front and ask Elizabeth to do that? That's ridiculous. So we, we have this unique grading system of A priority, B priority, and C priority things. C priority things are things that we really hit need like a lot of opportunity to look at, dissect, maybe budget for. So like if we get a, I don't know, we've got a lot of scuffs on the wall. We renovated our clinic in 2017 and it hasn't been repainted. It's a priority. It should be, but it's kind of like, you know, it's not as important as somebody having a heart attack in your waiting room. Right. B priorities are things that we might need help with other team members. So maybe it's uh, get something out of the ceiling tile that's 12 feet in the air. And we actually need to schedule some time to do that or a table. I've got actually got a table that has a broken weld. So this thing needs to be installed in Columbia, Missouri. We're kind of landlocked. Nobody does that kind of stuff for us around here. But an A priority is something that you can just literally pick up and put that toilet paper, piece of toilet paper in the trash, clean up the pee around the, the toilet. I mean, anybody on this planet is capable of doing that. Right. And no one's above uh, it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's important. I, I, I don't think that you can sit in a corner office specifically as a chiropractor and expect to have a good culture if, if you're leading from the windows. Right. And that's, that's uh, an important point. I want some younger chiropractors to hear. They'll learn it eventually because they'll start getting pushed to the periphery in professional life. If they're not the ones that are willing to roll up their sleeves a little bit, you know, when, when they, some, I always have to sort of moderate that some young docs feel like, you know, they've got the diploma and the, the leather bound books and the mahogany bookshelf, just like anchorman, you know, they're doctors, prestigious doctors. They don't, they don't, the doctor doesn't answer the phone. You know, the doctor doesn't do this or that or the other. And and I've definitely heard stories in the past where they weren't the doctor there anymore at whatever practice they were at as a young doc, because it's all hands-on. So are you saying that you don't just hire people to work in your practice based on uh, just because tasks need to be done and they can do it for the lowest price possible? Definitely not that. And maybe to proceed a question that you were going to probably follow up with. I also don't just hire for credentials either. Um, we do know each other. Some, <laughs> what's that? We do know each other. <laughs> yeah. There's some, there are some non-compromisables for people to be successful in a relatively quick manner. I mean, if you haven't taken the SFMA and the FMS specifically as a provider, even coming in as an intern, what we've observed over the years is it's very, very difficult to catch them up in a short time frame to be an efficient piece of our, our cog wheels. So we do have some prerequisites or at least some things that from a provider specificity standpoint, um, they really need to at least have some familiarity with. But, you know, from a rehab persist or a rehab assistant, um, one of my most successful rehab assistants was actually an esthetician and she just loved working out. She had an incredible yep. personality. She could connect with people like no other. Um, because she was an esthetician, she actually had some pretty amazing manual therapy skills. So she helped us out with that. Uh, but I would have never, ever even put that esthetician box in the Indeed ad of sure. searchables because it wouldn't have been on my radar. Um, half of my team actually were patients that I handpicked, uh, Natalie, my billing specialist, 
I told her six years ago that I wanted to hire her. She had just taken her first job in, I think, 10 years after being a stay-at-home mom. And she, she literally said, it's kind of funny, the first, from the first moment I walked in and the first interactions I've had, I wanted to work here. And she's like, but I feel very obligated to this position that I just took. And I was like, well, that tells me a lot about your character. And I filed that away and it took six years, but, uh, she's, (laughs) she's, she's just, uh, I call her a bloodhound. She sends out every single penny and, uh, her, her collection ability is just unbelievable. So, um, yeah, I guess maybe to say it a different way, you don't often know when you're going to find that perfect team member, right? but when you have exemplary service anywhere, whether it's at a restaurant or a bank or whomever, I'd say keep those antennas up because that might be your next hire. You're not allowed to say they're both important for this next question. Okay. <laughs> Which one is more important? The... Uh, the service and the atmosphere and the culture in the practice or the actual clinical care. <sighs> if you had, to, if you had to jettison one, which means like you have excellent clinical care out of a cardboard box or uh, just plain drywall, mm-hmm. or you have excellent setup, but the clinical care is like, uh, I don't know, jointish. <laughs> so, I'll spin the answer a little bit. I suppose it depends. You have to. You have to spin the answer. It's just <laughs> It depends on what your measurement of success is. Um, there are plenty of doctors providing subpar care that have incredible patient experiences and incredible clinic culture, and they're making millions of dollars. Those right. are the lucky ones, right? Those are the ones that we talked about earlier on. Right. You have some really amazing evidence-informed doctors that are working out of a janitorial closet that are getting better outcomes than anybody else in the world. Absolutely. And they might see a ton of professionals. I mean, who knows who they see, but they might be bleeding and starving too. If I if I had to choose one. We know the answer. I don't know. I'd still work out of a cardboard box. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> um, I like it. Nope. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That goes back to the root and you just answered, you just lived out your, one of your missions uh, right there in front of us all. You were adaptable to the question. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there'd be a few of those at the very least. Uh, well, I, I kind of want, you know, we have younger docs that listen to this and students as well, and they don't start out with a team. They're not ready for a team quite yet, or they're, you know, they're part of a team. They're an associate or an independent contractor, how does one who's either a doc in the box, which I refer to a doc in the box as, you know, them and then a staff member or a lone wolf who has no staff whatsoever, what kind of ways do you think they can foster this, the team from nothing, build mission from nothing? Yeah, I think, um, I think you can still build your values and your mission. I don't, I don't think that you necessarily need any more than your brain and your two hands to do that. Right. But the vision is going to seem really, really fuzzy when you are talking inside your own brain or to your spouse or to a friend, or maybe to your singular employee and say, you know, Bobby, I would really like to have the premier conservative healthcare clinic in Columbia, Missouri. I want to accomplish that in five to seven years. And these are the people that we're going to need. So you can start 
you know, it's dreaming, right? Like, right. I mean, I'm going to mess this up, but uh, there's a saying about dreaming and execution and it's, it's not on the tip of my tongue, so it's not going to come out. But I think so many of us will dream and like, oh, I wish I had a $10 million practice. Well, break that down. What does it take to get to 10 million? I don't know that answer, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, Krista and I knew that we wanted to have the tenants of focus on health are basically hands-on care movement and dry needling. Cause that's the, the one other pillar that we had under our belt before everything else was built. And I'm so happy. Like, I think there's a lot of good modalities out there. I mean, class four laser shockwave, we're test driving radio frequency right now. But one of the things that I've observed in my region of practice is I've seen so many doctors jump from modality to modality to program to this or that or the other. There's always an expect thing. We know that, right? That's right. Focus on health has never fallen on any of those three pillars and they will still always serve as our primary sources of care. It's until we find a modality that can come in and facilitate those three delivery systems to get better outcomes and longer lasting results or provide a slight detour for cases that have been proven to be difficult for our doctors. Um, we measure all of our outcomes with Cairo up. So we know where we excel and we know where we need some work. And uh, so we hand select, actually this, this trial will tell you that. Um, so the, the rep for this particular company, I'm not going to endorse anybody just because I don't have enough information yet still on them, but the rep agreed to come in and treat uh, as many patients as we could facilitate in two hour blocks for six uh, treatments over the course of three weeks. And so we're kind of doing our own little clinical trial, if you will. And I've hand selected actually one of them's walking in right now. So she is four weeks post-op on a total knee. I've got another post-op on a MCL, ACL, medial meniscus, the unhappy triad, uh, chronic plantar fasciosis. Uh, oh, sure, sure, sure. Chronic tendinopathies, a couple of ridiculous cases. Long story short, uh, we want to see if these six visits can get better results than the six visit uh, button that Cairo up has already been measuring for us for the last several years. And if it does great, then we'll, uh, we'll bite the bullet and uh, painfully swallow the price tag. Um, man, that's a big tangent. I don't know how the hell I got here, but. No, this is good. Cause there's a couple things I can break down from it. One we're practicing. So a lot of young docs, especially evidence-based docs, they're like, what is the evidence right now? So like I just announced, B3 Sciences is a brand new sponsor of the FTCA. I don't really know that much about blood flow restriction. I've, I've listened to a few people lecture about it. I haven't d dove into the research. I don't know if it's, I haven't used it in a clinic yet. I'm curious, but I don't know enough about it. Um, to, to say anything or other. That doesn't mean that I need to be the gatekeeper who wants to sponsor what. Let's let them prove themselves. If, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And evidence-informed docs going to go to the evidence, look at, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, PubMed or whatever, and be like, there's nothing there. There's nothing there, so I should not be trying this. I shouldn't be using it. It's worthless. Mm -hmm. Dude. And somebody, as soon as we announced that B3 was a brand new sponsor, it took two minutes for somebody to email back. Like, there's no research on this. I thought you guys were evidence-based group. 
It's like, bro, it's brand new. Like a lot of things you have to flesh out in real life before the journal articles come. And by the time those articles come, you're going to be way behind the curve if it is a thing that works. So practice, once again, it's a mix of all these things, right? You, You can, you can surmise what evidence might or might not say you can use your own intellect to understand biological concepts and be like, hmm, that kind of makes sense. That kind of doesn't make sense. Well, I have some questions about safety and efficacy and how to apply it and do your own damn work. And then you have to sort of experiment. That's why they call it practicing, right? You practice. You don't want to expose people to undue risk. You definitely want to have uh, procedures or alternatives and risk questions, conversations, PARQ conversations with the patients before you undergo anything that you might feel is not standard of care or whatever, but you have to try things out. And you you outlined a very specific concept that I think chiropractors do not do. You're measuring. And that's all we're really asking is try things, measure, and we can move the process, the profession, your practice, whatever you want to call it forward. If you're willing, that's the forward part, right? It's like, There's a group called that, right? <laughs> be, the forward part meant be better tomorrow than you are today. It wasn't about the 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 typical way you would think forward thinking is like we all think we're smarter than you and that's what really appealed to a lot of people who first got into forward thinking chiropractic alliance like yeah we're forward thinking we're because we're really smart it's not about being smart it's about being proactive and thinking about the future so you've you've outlined a very specific thing that i think is important is being able to try different things in practice and then measuring the outcomes and then changing your mind so that's one Two, I think you nailed it in this idea that you have to have some sort of intention. You have to have a foundation of principles that doesn't, it can change over time, right? But it's the foundation and everything else is built upon that. So if your foundation is your beliefs, what you believe is best for the patient, uh, what what outcomes you're trying to do, what what impact you're trying to give to your community and all that stuff, supremely important. And then the stuff you do can be removed. It's like a Chinese pagoda game, right? Like you can take one layer off, add another layer, move them around, but the principles don't change. They don't fundamentally change. They can be altered, but they don't change. So you only put the stuff onto the principles. And that is one of the errors we also see in, in docs that are faltering is they, they do, they think that, if I bring in the brand new machine that goes Bing, sorry, that's a Monty Python reference. If anyone gets that, if I bring in the brand new EHR system, if I bring in the brand new thing, it's going to change my whole world. No, it's not. Not if you didn't have the principles in the first place. Yeah. So you weren't rambling. I was rambling. (laughs) No, I think, I think there is uh, maybe equal amounts. Um, You know, I want to hit something that you said, because I think, so many of us in this group of, you know, more than 10,000 chiropractors get trapped and almost harnessed by research and evidence. And, you know, we have lots of people that have said it different ways, but our friend Greg Rose at the SFMA and TPI says, if you're evidence-based, you're 15 years behind because you're waiting on the IRB. Yeah. Rich Holmes says it a little different way. Research should not restrict clinical curiosity. It should inspire it. And wait, say that one again. Yeah. Research, research should, should um, not restrict clinical curiosity. It should inspire it. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, to think that we know it all about everything at this point would be so incredibly ignorant. And then also not rewarding at all. I wouldn't want to know everything 13 years into practice. I would be bored for the rest of my career. Um, I, I sure hope that what I'm doing five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line is vastly different and maybe still on the same moral tenets, but I, I hope that we're getting better outcomes then. Yeah. But you'll know because you're measuring, you'll know. <laughs> right. The last part is language words. Um, in, in the same vein, we can experiment with the way we deliver communication to people with the language we use. I do find lately, and, and I, I sometimes I inherit as I try to help people, I don't really consider myself a coach, but as I try to help people along in this chiropractic journey, I find that a lot of chiropractors fall into this really big trap of being agreeable people pleasers. They will compromise principles. They will compromise their own mission in order just to make people happy or happy enough that they come back for their next visit. And I do think this applies to what, what we've talked about with procedures and techniques yeah. I think your language needs to be experimented with over time as well. You do need to experiment with being the coach with your patients, the teacher, the father, brother, mother, preacher, um, tough love, good cop, bad cop. You need to play with what language works with what type of people and measure or subconsciously at least measure the results with how you speak with patients. And then I'll also want you to, comment on that when it comes to your staff as well. Yeah, I think one of the things, so first of all, I'll start with, you can't be all things to all people, um, whether that's your patients or your team, or, you know, sometimes even down to your spouse, there, there has to be a conscious awareness of what you know and what you don't know. And I hope that I know better what I don't know well than what I know. Um, I do think that from a communication standpoint, I've, with my team, for instance, I have done a lot of different workshops and information gathering and Colby scores and disc assessments and all these things. And we try to really get to know the interlocking key of how we can communicate most effectively with each other, who works well with what tasks, all those things are, are super important. Um, I'm a big fan of networking and of human connection. Um, and I spend a lot of time with my team one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's in small group settings um, I mean, probably I'm more vulnerable with my team than most people, I would say. I mean, we have them over to our house. We cook them dinner. We break bread. We have drinks. We go to the lake. We do lots of fun stuff, um, which also does add to the culture. If that's your cultural fit, too, and this yeah. might be where you're, you're heading with this, is that is my natural state. As I said, I can't be, I can't be anybody else but me around the people that I, that I know and trust. And I, I've seen other providers, um, one specifically, again, we'll change names to protect the innocent, but he's an incredible person. I went to high school with him. He's one of the most brilliant people I know. But in his clinical practice, he is very buttoned up and stuffy and uh, almost rash to a certain degree. He's never mean, but he's definitely 
he doesn't deliver news well to people and he doesn't uh, communicate from an empathetic platform. You get him out on the river and a few natty lights deep and he is the most fun dude you would ever experience uh, right. a float trip with. And, um, you know, it, that almost goes back to that dichotomy of the cold, like the, now I'm starting to deviate back towards the, the cultural side of things. Um, I just think that we, as chiropractors, we're going to have to have hard conversations. We have, we've caught a lot of weird stuff in our practice. One of my doctors had osteomyelitis. I've had uh, countless bouts of cancer that we've helped figure out that that was the cause of their pain. Um, ridiculous symptoms. Gosh, if you want to open up the yellow flag questionnaire, I mean, we're going to have some heavy conversations in our lifetime. And I think one we graduate a lot of young doctors at the age of 25 to 27. Yeah. In your twenties, you are looking for yourself. You have no clue where it is. You have been given all of this autonomy in the last five to 10 years after you graduate high school. And really that's not true. We actually, we had relative autonomy, but we were still told what to do, where to be, what classes that we had to take basically up until the day that you graduate from whatever respective school so now you're all dressed up in your mid to late 20s and now really the floodgates open and you're supposed to know exactly what to do. That that song, be okay, it's, it's okay to not be okay. Like it's okay to not know who you are in your late 20s. And I think right. that too many people want that answer now and yesterday. So what's that old uh, adage, it takes time? Um, it, it certainly does. You might not culturally know who you are in your 20s, but this is your data gathering. This is a time for you to connect with the people that know you the best. And, you know, something that uh, my wife and I talk about in our vision casting workshops is you need to have an accountability partner. You need to have these conversations with these people. And if, if you and I had went to high school together and I had just graduated and I was opening an HVAC business after, um, after going to a vocational school, this actually happened to one of my best friends, John, he sat down with people and he was like, all right, what am I really good at? Yeah. Could I use some, he did a 360 review on himself before we even knew what the hell that thing was. Mm -hmm. And so then he put these little moral dots on the map that he wanted to chase after. And then he recollected data in his thirties. And now he's, he's my age. He's uh, six months older than I am. Um, he shares my half birthday, actually. Um, anyway, John's a wildly successful businessman because he kept going back and reflecting upon where he's been and where he wants to go. I feel like I got off on tangent again, but uh, maybe that's a good stopping point for you too. No, <laughs> I think the summary there is uh, culture is a process. Yeah. And it's an, it's an ever evolving introspective process that you get to express within your practice uh, if you're intentional about it. Yeah. I think the intentional part is probably the best way to summarize it. Like you have to intentionally create it and you have to intentionally prune it uh, if you want to maintain it. And then the last bit of that I would say is if you want to be, if your desire is to be successful, however you define success, it can be defined many different ways and I've even said recently, we probably have to redefine what success is. You do need to go through this process. That's what we're saying. We're, we are saying you have to do that. Yeah, the CSA does a good job in titering that, right? We've got the freedom of time, money, purpose, relationships. Um, 
if time is really important to you, then that's what you need to define what success looks like. If it's making every soccer game with your kids and having enough time to go duck hunting on the weekends, like that's important. If your purpose is to be a teacher, whether that's educationally or let me rephrase that institutional or um, on the road, seek that out. It's a much, much more fun way to practice or live life. If you're doing the things you want, I think we, I think the other thing too, like we're chiropractors. I mean, the, the Latin derivative of hand is in our, uh, in our namesake, but you don't have to necessarily be a chiropractor to be a chiropractor, right? Like you can have professional influences. Yeah. Yeah. The, the manipulation is a tool. It's not a, it's not a persona. That's right. <laughs> and I think we've been misled uh, that for quite some time. And uh, we're seeing a big change in that, at least in this 10,000 player field that we have in the FTCA. But yeah, you know, you think about like, I reference Greg Rose. I don't know how many people he treats a year, but I know how many people he teaches a year. And then yeah, how right. many tens of thousands, if not millions of people, Greg Rose's influence because of that. That's right. That's absolutely correct. Uh, you've just inspired me to an idea that I've got to go into the beat laboratory and think about. Um, so I'm going to go do that now. I know you've got some work to do. I would never stop recording with you. <laughs> I wish, I wish there was a teleport machine and we lived closer together and I could zoom over into your closet that you got there or you I could zoom it. into my, in my, my well-read library that I have here and we could keep talking forever, but alas, all podcasts must end. Correct. Until the next one. Until the next one. (laughs) Thank you again. I appreciate you. Thanks, Bobby. I appreciate you too. 